Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Dr. Ryan Dunn. Ryan is a professor in the Department of Educational Leadership at Bayer College of Education at Indiana State University and has served for 20 years traditional and charter schools in K-12 education and teaching as well as school and district leadership. Ryan has taught for years at the college and university level in the areas of leadership, communication, and education. Ryan is a member of various professional organizations and enjoys robust teaching, scholarship, and service, and has been awarded the Homestead Distinguished Professorship and the Faculty Distinguished Service Award. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Well, thank you, Dana. I am pleased and honored to be here. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Oh, my goodness. Well, the trenches are a really interesting thing because I have found over the course of my career, spending over 30 years in education, that some of the trenches we dig for ourselves and some of the trenches others dig for us. I think of the ones others have dug for me. I was hanging out in my office, minding my own business as a principal one day, just getting ready to launch out into the school and just bright and early in the morning, but not too early. And um, in walks one of my teachers, an incredible teacher, worked in our career technical education center. And he said, Ryan, I want you to know something. First of all, sit down and don't worry, nobody got killed. And I said, oh my goodness, what's up? Well, that particular trench that one day that somebody else dug for me is that for years and years, now as a first year teacher, if I recall in this new school, we inherited a tradition that I didn't know much about, which probably speaks to the level that I should have been wandering around more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But these cannons were being made out of this in the, in the, (laughs) <laughs> the cannon making class, right? And it was it was uh, sort of nostalgic. And and some folks have made them in the families for years that they, they would drill out a hole in the middle of the, the cannon. And, and as the teacher shared with me, and he, he says, well, we just have kids bring in gunpowder. And then we go out and we, uh, you know, camp them down and we light them off and poof, they do a little thing in the parking lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> was, this was in a very cold climate. And it was yeah. zero, might've been close to 20 degrees wind chill below zero in February. Yeah. And some of the kids thought it would be interesting to wet the paper towel as they stuck it in with the uh, gunpowder. And my goodness, Dana, blew up like a pipe bomb. Holes in the school, holes in the bus garage, PVC creaming down near the support staff. I mean, it was bad. It's something that was dug, but you can imagine the trench I had to crawl out from under in that particular situation, I mean, other trenches that have been dug for me, I mean, had teachers in trouble with the law, unfortunately, and wondering what the evening headline's going to be. We even had the fax machine come across one day, one fine spring day in another school, and there, pop, 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 out of a fax machine came a list of 10 schools or school districts with a history of, quote unquote, marginal performance and underperforming this, that, and the other thing. And Dana, because of alphabetical order in my first year in that particular building, I Mm -hmm. found school at the front of that list. Now, that began a 10-year journey of changing my professional life. 
because I had the opportunity to work with an incredible group of people, putting our arms around an incredible group of students and families to make those differences and really, really take a place from where it was to where it could go. Those are trenches that other people dig for you. The ones, the ones we dig for ourselves, I mean, my goodness, you know, we do it all the time in education. I had a, a former a retired teacher in my teacher's lounge once when I was a principal trying to get a petition of no confidence signed against my superintendent. And uh, just with a glimmer of mischief in my eye, I went over the PA system and said there was an unregistered car in the teacher's parking lot and I was going to summarily have it towed. Uh, you can imagine that that didn't endear myself with that person. It was a board member, yeah. again, my own trench. Brought yeah. in the drug dogs once, didn't think that they would stop at the local coffee shop with their handlers. All the kids in town knew they were there. I didn't think the kids knew. And then they asked me at the end of a fruitless search, because of course all the kids knew that they were there, right? Can we go out into the parking lot and sniff cars? And I said, well, not the faculty parking lot, but okay, let's do the students just for the heck of it. I mean, I was such an idiot. Well, we went out there in Dana. There was a staff member's car parked there for the day and the dogs hit on it. It's like, oh my goodness, talk about a trench I dug for myself. And then the one time I, I encouraged a, a person not to get into a, a, a debate with me over the merits of a block schedule and music education programming and stuff like that. Because as you know, I played in a wedding band once, so I thought I knew all things that had to do with bands, right? Yeah. yeah. It turns out that that brought out 60 parents at a board meeting with advocacy, much more eloquent and smart than I. And so these are the things, the little things, but if I were to get serious about trenches, even more serious than those that were dug for me and I dug myself, I would say I've had three main trenches that have been more marathons than sprints in my professional career. And they had to do with the things that I was leveraging and the things I was prioritizing. In other words, they were my own leadership decisions. And I've learned so much from them. The first one, early in my career, I leveraged and prioritized my own convictions. And while that sounds laudable, it can have a blind spot if you allow it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to storm that next hill, in my case, I was championing the cause of a, a very progressive, amazing superintendent who hired me and a very thin board majority that approved my hire. Well, when the board started to swing a little bit and community sentiment came against what she wanted to do, I was still there and my convictions knew it was the right thing to do. However, it became complicated because I didn't have anything else that I was prioritizing or leveraging. In my next position, I went another direction. I said, well, I really need to get on board with this community thing. And so I leveraged and prioritized community. But what happened, Dana, in that particular instance is I was still rather early on in my career. I didn't realize that community is really communities. Yeah. So the degree to how I'm defining one community or one constituency doesn't necessarily marry well with others who have diverse perspectives. Yeah. And then when I went another direction and tried for a third approach, I finally found something that has lasted me forever. And what I did is I leveraged and prioritized where other people were in terms yeah. of their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, where their perspectives were. And I engaged intentionally in a productive struggle with them to go from where they were to an even better place, humbly knowing that they knew better their pathway than I. And when I realized that I now had the superpower, but in order to, in order to trigger it, I needed also to do conviction and community with where the people were. 
And that three-legged stool has stood the test of time. And that's what has allowed me to crawl out of the longer and, and, and more powerful trenches that I found myself inside. And it's given me a choice whether or not I've wanted to walk back into those trenches throughout the course of my career. So I think what... I think your podcast is powerful. I think your message is powerful. And in the hundreds of speakers that you've had that have talked about their trenches, um, those have been teachable moments for me, the ones I've been able to watch. And I just want to say thank you for that blessing. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I really like how you framed, like, starting off with some of those things that, you know, as a, a, a new leader, and those, those mistakes that you made looking oh. back on and, you know, being vulnerable about, like, hey, you didn't know how to handle some of those situations and mm -hmm. could have handled them a different way. Um, but like you said, these, these three pieces of learning about um, your own convictions and how, um, you know, how you could work more with the communities, right. And how their diverse uh, viewpoints uh, could um, work with, you know, work with the things that they, they had those opinions on. So let's talk also about some of your experience. You've worked as a charter school, uh, superintendent and director um, for 11 years. So was that a charter school that you started um, or helped start? And uh, how did you uh, kind of manage that uh, piece of, of getting it off the ground? Oh, my goodness. Well, it was it was in part born of convictions, but so much more because I had spent at that point, I was nine years in to what I thought was going to be a 30 year career in public mm -hmm. education. Yeah. And I was loving everything that I did. Oddly enough, I even love the trenches, right? It's just that I started to become aware of ways through and around and out. But there was a constant drumbeat that challenged me. It challenged my patience. And that was the drumbeat of reasons why folks would tell me, no, that we just can't do something. And as a teacher, I, I, I loved kids. I loved my colleagues. But I was a forgiveness without permission guy. If I thought it was going to be fun, right, learned, and beneficial to kids, and I was sort of the same way as an alternative ed director, as a special ed coordinator, as an assistant principal, and as a principal. But still, there was always the drumbeat of that cautious, no, we better not try. We There's a reason why not. Mm -hmm. And so after nine years, I almost left public education because I had this dream that parents and children deserved something a little bit more with a permission slip to say, why not? Or a permission slip, yes. And and I almost joined a think tank to champion the rights of those kids and, and, and uh, families. On my third interview with that think tank, a very creative, resourceful finance director invited me to a graduation ceremony of a charter school. And I went to this graduation ceremony, and it was about the same time that I accepted an interview with them just to explore, because I didn't know what this place was all about. They offered me a chance. And in, in many cases, they were why not people rather than why we can't. Mm -hmm. And when I went to the ceremony and saw the kids and met the families, I, I called the think tank and I said, I love what you're doing. And I still believe in everything you uh, are, are trying to move forward as far as parents and choice and these sorts of things. I said, but... I know where my passion is. And it was with this particular charter school district, also a charter school, because under the laws of that particular state, they were one and the same. And we had classrooms and buildings predominantly on one campus, but on around town and in different places and, and services all over the place. And it was a charter school or a school district for high school students who had difficulties in other schools. 
It was okay. my dream game. And it was started by six or seven two-county area superintendents who at one point in their career deemed it necessary to put a consortium together to do some amazing things with these high school students. And then when the laws of the various states changed and, and there was a lot about school funding and homestead property taxes and non-homestead property taxes, for economic viability, the staff at this school, this consortium, worked with a chartering agency to protect the school district, the school, and charter it to protect the school as a school. And so for 11 years, I reported to a nine-member board, some of the most amazing folks, leaders of business and industry, and our boundaries were contiguous boundaries, a two-county region. We okay. had high school kids coming from hither and yon, miles and miles and miles, as well as from our own neighborhood. And we worked to take them from where they were to a better place with a teaching staff that was amazing. Um, it strengthened my personal accountability and leadership to students and families. It helped me protect an, an equity and access by doing the right thing and, and being able to leverage the why not. We made decisions, school-wide decisions by consensus. We had conflict resolution and consensus building models. We, we were voracious about getting kids ready for college, um, with the world and life. And it made me realize at the time, and I still believe to this day, Dana, that chartering in many, many states with many legislative opportunities in terms of who can charter and who can be chartered, it's a superpower. It's a superpower, not only that folks involved in nonprofit and for-profit corporations can avail themselves of, but it's a superpower that school districts can use to create autonomy in innovation zones within their own school districts and corporations. And I've written about this in, in the national um, uh, magazine that, um, Chartering is a superpower, and we should really look at this as a vehicle to innovate on behalf of those who need us the most. And uh, made a big difference. It's one of the reasons why uh, I think uh, Indiana State looked favorably upon my candidacy. At the time, they were not necessarily looking toward chartering schools themselves, but they did want somebody knowledgeable in the space that could come in and, and discuss opportunity. Our charter school was one of the ones that um, was more collaboratively received by our traditional school districts. I think because the school superintendents created the original consortium. Uh, so I've had an opportunity to see how the best of relationships can work with traditional public schools and charter public schools. And now I have the opportunity to do that and even foster and facilitate some of that uh, through Indiana State University and beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, interesting to hear kind of how that opportunity came along right as you were about to accept that think tank. Uh, yeah. position, but like somebody invited you to that graduation and that totally changed to the course of where you spent the next nine years. Yeah. 11, actually. My goodness, 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know yeah. time flies. Woo. And then, so you've been at the university level um, since then. So what, what year did you leave um, the charter school? It was 2011. So okay. I have been here um, finishing up my 12th academic season at okay. Indiana State University. And, you know, that has been, that that was real interesting because I was not raring to go. I, I had um, completed my doctorate and I started, and as part of that, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher of leaders. And I had taught for many years at the undergrad level in communications and English and in different courses, diversity, ethics, etiquette, those sorts of things. But I knew leadership was my calling. In fact, it was um, yeah. a mission, not a position. And so... 
I just started looking around. And one of the first things I did is I let my board president know. I mean, we'd had a great relationship. I had a nine-member board for a number of years, and they were so kind. And so I let him know. But I said, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking to leave. I'm just looking to explore a new challenge if one exists. And so uh, it was, this is sort of cute because we had a regional education in service and everybody from the county came. And it was at, if I remember at John Glenn High School outside of Bay City, Michigan, Banker Township. And in walked this very stately presence of a presenter. And uh, one, one of my faculty members goes, I love his shoes. And I said, I just love his swagger. And, and all of a sudden started presenting and it was Todd Whitaker. And, <laughs> and I said, whoa, I dig on this guy. I mean, my goodness, listen to what he's saying. And he is so spot on and he, he really knows how to do this stuff. And very shortly thereafter, Indiana State University had a posting for a position. And so lo and behold, I had the opportunity for a 15-minute Skype interview at the time. I hopped on the Skype, and sitting around that table were my many of my current colleagues, internationally renowned in their teaching and their scholarship, and then absolutely Todd Whitaker, right, right around the, the table. And I just went, well, okay, this could be fun. And so we had the greatest of conversations. I was invited to campus, and lo and behold, you know who's going to drive me back to the airport after my day of interviews is Todd Whitaker and his wife, Beth Whitaker. I mean, they had uh -huh. the Whitaker tag team on me. Uh -huh. and, uh, <laughs> and I won't go into the details, but I got I got more professional development there in a car than most people get in a lifetime. I mean, this guy is so giving of his time and talent. And Beth Whitaker is amazing. They are my heroes. And so I said, OK, for all the reasons, and I I also got to meet because he was the department chair at the time, another one of the authors that you know, Dr. Steve Grunert, who co-authored the school culture stuff with Todd, right? And so I said, if Steve is department chair, if Todd's going to be my department colleague, we got, I mean, this has got to happen. Yeah. And yeah. he offered me the gig. And so one of the coolest things, my memories of Indiana State, among all the classes that I've taught is we had a class one time that Steve, Todd, and I taught together. And it was a course in the principalship. So we had some of the students in this garden level room. We beamed some students in from across Indiana. We had some students in the room. And whatever night it was, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't remember, but Steve, Todd, and I would show up in the room and we would take turns presenting. The best part about it, sometimes we agree with each other. Sometimes we don't. And yeah. it was classic class. And, and I've worked ever since. Uh, Todd and Beth left, went to Mizzou, uh, back where they went, uh, near where they went to college and got closer to their, their two of their kids anyway. And um, they're just so happy now. We we stay in touch. Uh, St Steve still is here with me at Indiana State. We we co-teach and Steve directs the PhD program. Okay. And it's just been a great run. I've had the blessing of meeting so many incredible leaders from Indiana and beyond. So if they're uh, hoping to be a principal, a superintendent, an assistant principal, a curriculum director, or whomever, they come to either our master's, ed specialist, or PhD classes, and we help them further their dreams, and hopefully with a resultant positive impact on children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's such a uh, inspiring story, really, that like you didn't know really much about Todd, and then he presented where you were working in the charter school and then like, just like seeing his swagger and how like he held himself Amazing. You know, that started from that. And then there happened to be an open position. right? So <laughs> It turns out his, one of his graduates, Deb Kadish graduated from Indiana state. She became our regional special ed director. And she said, I've got a guy who is the most relevant on top presenter 
ever. There's nobody who can compare and you've got to bring Todd Whitaker in. And, and I had heard of Todd Whitaker's good work. I had never seen him in person. And let me tell you, he is, when, when my wife, Wendy, my, my son, Sean, my daughter, Caitlin, and I moved to Terre Haute, Indiana, there was no more gracious family than the Whitakers. I mean, my kids would trick or treat at their house. Um, Todd was a mentor. So, so was Steve. Um, great friendships and gosh, a number of books. Heck, I've written three books with Todd. I've written um, one or two books with Steve and um, we just continue with these passions and uh, we so enjoy each other and I'm honored to be their friend. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the Talk episode. to me a little bit about the Indiana Principal Leadership Institute. Um, so that's something that you start throughout the year um, and there's different cohorts. So how would this be set, set itself apart from maybe other universities? Oh, this, this is a good one. Um, thank you for that. That is, it's a great conversation piece because it's mm-hmm. so unique. So I'm hearing about my second or third or fourth year, whenever it was, and um, Steve Gruner, our department chair, calls a few of us to the office, and it's me and Todd and a couple others. And he has an idea that he's sketching out, and I don't remember if it's a small piece of paper or a napkin or whatever, but Steve's also an artist. He's he's legit as an artist, so he has a conceptual model. And what happened is Indiana used to leverage statewide professional development money for principals in a institute called the Indiana Principal Leadership Academy, IPLA. And through budgetary challenges and some different things and some decisions made, that money was moved out of that appropriation and um, that that PD was lost. Steve felt an obligation, an obligation to offer something. So we got a hold of an incredible colleague and friend, Dr. Todd Bess of the Indiana Association of School Principals, our dean, Brad Balch, and and Terry McDaniel, Bobby Joe Monahan, and, and, and others. And what we did is we... We shared our ideas for the needs of Indiana principals with some incredible legislators and members of the Department of Education in Indiana. And we we left it as their idea to curate if they wanted to, but but please know we we uh, said we will carry this forward and we'll come through for you on behalf of principals and their schools and kids and everything. About six months later, we have the the legislators um, wondering, uh, not wondering, but uh, touring uh, Indiana State University and asked to speak with Steve. And so a few of us met and through a lot of legislative activity, the support of the Principals Association, um, Indiana State University, we opened the gates uh, in the uh, event that other universities wanted to partner for a while. Um, They had many things going on, so we carried the baton ourselves. And that's when the Indiana Principal Leadership Institute, IPLI, was born. And so the Institute is a two-year experience where in year one, the whole focus is on a principal's personal leadership capacity, not the school. Year two is the focus on school capacity involving teacher leaders. So what we do is we work with principals on their personal capacity with the help of amazing mentors in year one. And then we move into a school focus in year two involving at least two teacher leaders from each of their buildings. So we have 50 principals plus a couple of teacher leaders. And it has synergy like you wouldn't believe. Over the years, um, we we have um, involved ourselves with the Marzano Group in high reliability schools. 
and um, a who's who of incredible presenters, uh, including Todd, including others. But um, dare say that cohort nine just graduated. Uh, cohort 10 is moving into year two. We've been working with them closely. We were there this week near Indianapolis. And so the Institute exists in partnership through an appropriation from the General Assembly, a generous appropriation in partnership with contributions from local school superintendents and districts to facilitate the most amazing two-year intentional, deliberate professional development. And speaking of deliberate and intentional, Rhonda Rose, we have her amazing solution tree author. She works with us too and in the Institute and offers PD. Um, it's just a beautiful thing. And uh, we continue to be humbled by the life that this Institute has taken on its own through Steve Grunert's vision and others. We had Linda Mars Morford, who was the founding executive director, and now Kelly Andrews, who's the executive director, and just so many amazing people that have served as mentors and advisory board members at the state level over the years. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a really sweet thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just for that support for people who are in the principalship and is it a requirement that they be like in their first three years of the principalship to join the cohort? Good observation. If they are in their first year or so, we would like them to consider instead the Indiana New Administrator Leadership Institute and NALI, okay. which is run by the Indiana Association of School Principals. And we're a partner in that, but they take more the lead in that. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that I, APLI, new administrators, then IPLI, Principal Leadership Institute. Now, Dr. Andrews Kelly has designed, with the help of the Principals Association, IPLI Extended. Okay. So there is a ongoing professional development and networking and collaborative um, synthesis, a battery of offerings that occur each year for all of the alum of IPLI. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then you're also teaching courses in the principal and superintendent prep program. Um, so I, in Colorado, I see, you know, every year there's uh, teachers going into the master's program for that. Um, and it's kind of remained consistent. Um, not everybody ends up going into leadership, uh, even though they complete that program. So how does it look um, at Indiana State? Um, is it consistent or have you seen an increase of people wanting to go into school leadership um, after the pandemic? Um, and how um, how is your program built up? Is it like a two-year master's program, especially like for principal uh, licensure? Yep, exactly that. And as well, uh, in intentional educational specialist program for central office licensure beyond that, uh, with the clinical internships that you would get at each level, and a variety of offerings. We have um, in-person residencies that occur primarily on weekends, a few times mm -hmm. each semester. We have some synchronous virtual instruction that happens during the weeknights, and we have um, asynchronous instruction when folks can do it with their busy schedules as well. Mm -hmm. We found that our program is very intentional at the master's and the ed specialist level at meeting the needs of incredibly busy working leaders and practitioners. At the PhD level, what we do is we ask them to turn a dial into their scholarly side and to either embrace an identity of a scholar practitioner or a practitioner scholar, slight differences, but it's some really cool stuff. And you know, one of the things that we have been talking about frequently, it in part inspired um, my recent book called All Other Duties as Assigned for Assistant Principals, is the fact that assistant principals nationwide need something additionally. Mm -hmm. 
because there is there's this clarion cry for assistant principals to be more so instructional leaders. Yeah. And I beg to differ with that politely, I hope, because the instructional leaders, as I see them when they're I'm I'm hither and yon in schools all the time. The best instructional leaders, just like the best surgeons in a hospital, are not necessarily those who are the administrators. The best instructional leaders are our best teachers and a distributive leadership model where we allow teacher leaders to help curate their own and inspire by working together this whole collective efficacy thing. That's where true instructional leadership is. So there is a distinctive place now where principals and assistant principals can get together and superpower how they can provide resources and information and space and time and energy to the teachers to perform that surgery. And so we've been more intentional with, with our assistant principals. Um, at least I'm hoping that we are, I'm encouraging that. And, and I'm telling you just recently, I've been, I've been blessed to have the opportunity through a great publisher solution tree to offer all of their duties as assigned as a resource for those who want more information on how the, uh, the principalship and the assistant principalship can be delightfully different, complement each other and empower each other to do what they need to do. It's, it's, it's really a book where the action is on the needs of adults in schools, students in schools and families in schools. And what can we do all other duties as a sign to prepare building leaders to meet those challenges. The pandemic has, I don't think it's really changed what we've done, but it has made crystal clear those of us who can do it and those of us who can't do it. Now, that's one thing the pandemic has done. It has changed us in such a way that our, our constituents um, are less apprehensive of sharing what their needs are with us. Um, there has been more realization and understanding, I believe, of the importance of teachers in our society. And that's been a long time coming. But the pandemic has, uh, as much as it's been just awful and a tragedy, it has created an opportunity for a redo if we want to allow it to allow us. And in such, uh, it's made um, those who are not excellent on behalf of schools, children and community and the adults who work in them, it's it's made us easier to spot. And so yeah. uh, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you think so? I don't know. What, what's your perspective on it? I mean, I'm seeing a lot of um, schools go back to the same old, same old, but I think you're right in terms of that. Like, you know, distributed leadership model is definitely something I think more schools need to go into that mm -hmm. maybe aren't going into that. Like, I mean, I've, I've worked in several different schools and um, I see how, um, like, like you say, the AP role is becoming more and more, um, so many people want to talk about, read about, um, you know, Rudy Capelli, you know, read, writing several books now, and they're coming out in the next few years about the AP and how, like, a lot of the time, yeah, the AP is seen as a disciplinarian, right? In the, the putter outer of buyers. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think really it's, it's having that, that effective leader at the top who is using their admin team effectively and it really growing those teacher leaders as well. So helping change school culture. Yeah, school culture is something I'm big on. You know, I think if we don't intentionally um, use some of the lessons learned during the pandemic, we will fall into the same old, same old. Um, and that's unfortunate, like in, in some schools that have ineffective leaders. 
That's really well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I really think that's uh, something people can uh, definitely check out. Like you said, um, you said there was um, uh, that's going to be made uh, available uh, oh. by Corwin. The book is, is, that, is there a discount or what was that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're using things like Corwin and discount. No, it's, it's the solution tree. Solution tree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Solution Tree is they're they're an amazing. I'll tell you, talk yeah. about folks who can elevate my thinking. It's my team at Solution Tree, and and uh, I'm even working with them again with one of my graduates on uh, a book on teacher mattering, mattering uh -huh. to adults, and how powerful it is. We've done research with thousands around the country, but no, it is all other duties is assigned. It's a delightfully new way of looking at the power of assistant principals and making a difference. For the adults in school as well as children and families and solution tree publishers they've been amazing and um, you can get it off the solution tree website or just take a look on um, you know you can google it or me um, mm -hmm. and by the way i'm i know we'll probably talk about this in the end but anyone can call me i've got one of these old-fashioned things that just picks up right <laughs> at my desk believe it or not i've even got a cell phone too that i it finally smart after many years of embarrassing my children i finally have a smartphone <laughs> i had to wait I'll tell you what I had to do. I'll show you. I had to wait till I can get another one that flipped because until I could get one that flipped again, the razor, I, yeah, I, I went from flip phone to flip phone. I, oh I just, my. I'm sorry. This is not an endorsement. This is just me being me, which is pretty stupid sometimes, <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, we're, I'm sure your students get a kick out of that. <laughs> oh, they did. Well, sort of. Yeah. But no, th these have been great. You've got me. You've got me thinking a lot over professional decisions I have made um, because I, I every day I miss being in K twelve. Again, I'm in schools a lot. I I, I do school uh, performance reviews. I do um, just some consulting and technical assistance visits. Do a lot of training, um, and I, I sometimes I just go and visit my students just to hang out and see the good things yeah. that they're doing. I have found invariably that when I'm on the road and I'm in schools. Every single school building I'm in, I, I swear to you, I swear I meet somebody who's better and smarter and all that stuff at any of this stuff than me. And I'm pretty darn good, but there are always people who are so much better than me. And Dana, I learn from them. And yeah. so what has the university allowed me to do? It's allowed me to get a lot of stuff out of my head and my heart that needs to be in a book, in a book or in whatever, and I blog too, but you know, different things. It's just lots of stuff in my head, lots in my heart that I need to get out. And I'm just like a sponge and I'm on the road all the time. So I hope that I'm a conduit yeah, and yeah. I miss schools. And someday again, I'd, I'd love to be an assistant principal again, or maybe a superintendent or a principal. I mean, those are all great gigs. Teacher, my goodness. I was thinking about that last week on my way back from a school. Gosh, let's just be a teacher again. Um, but but I am truly fortunate and um, it's, I wake up with a smile on my face. I think half the time I go to bed with a bigger one on, it really well, happens that way. Yeah. I mean, it's doing something you love and it just yeah. that, like you have that door open to also be back in schools in one of those oh, yeah. schools as well. I mean, that's, that's great. Like, I mean, I've, I've seen people who retire and then, you know, they were assistant principals or maybe higher up in district leadership. And they go back and they retire. They they realize that they they really have nothing to do with retirement. Yeah. And then they go back. I've seen them go back and, and take a teaching position. Yes. Because it's been so long since they've been in the classroom and they wanted to see kind of how that 
um, had changed and yeah, really learning from those newer teachers. So yeah, thank you so much um, about like your perspective on that whole thing. And I'll definitely uh, put the link to the book in the show notes. Um, well, we've talked a lot about just your journey in leadership, your perspective on um, your own trench story, uh, trying to, um, you know, work with your own convictions and be more of a, a leader who's able to support the community. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Wow. I, I think just um, something I'm, I'm humbled to remind myself um, that each day we are only as good as our next day's best work. And we get a daily opportunity for a do-over. So let's not underestimate the power of our daily do-over and the opportunity again to do our next day's best work. Dana, I think that would be it. I really like that. Well, where can people connect with you and find you online? Oh, gosh, they can find me online at Twitter, at Ryan Donlin, that's easy, or at www.ryandonlin.com. Um, yep, I got the com name. I was first out of the gate with Ryan Donlin to get that com. That was, <laughs> by the way, one of the things that I learned from Dr. Whitaker. He said, buy your domain name unless it's bought already. Um, and and then I would say um, the Department of Educational Leadership at Indiana State University in the Bi College of Education, they've been so very good to me. So you can Google Indiana State University, Department of Educational Leadership. You'll see my smiling face. Drill down. You can call me right on my office phone. You can call me on the <laughs> cell phone. Google a syllabus. Every syllabus I've ever put out to students, and I think a lot of them are on the web, they have my cell phone number. So I'm not a secret. I'm a known commodity. And every once in a while, I now know how to text, Dana. <laughs> I've been a texter for a year and a half. Can you imagine that? See, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, it's been great talking with you today. Um, you know, I really wish uh, you a great end of the semester as we're nearing the end of this uh, spring semester. And this will come out at the beginning of the fall semester, but um, really, it's been a pleasure having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Dana, it's been an honor. Thank you so much. And best to you, the end of your school year as well. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of the Trenches DC.